Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Milwaukee Bucks did it. They tied the series up 2-2. Two to two. So it's best of three series, and what a game. Easily, easily the most entertaining game of the series. Most competitive game, closest game. The Suns led for three and a half quarters, and they pulled away multiple times, but they never dropped the hammer. Never really threw, not only a knockout punch, but even a punch that staggered the Bucks. It seemed like the whole second half, the lead was going up to five or to seven, and then right back down to two or three. And <clears throat> the Bucks did it at the, at the end. They dominated the last five and a half minutes. Winning time, as Magic Johnson called it. 19 to eight to close the game. And the Bucks were down 95-90, and uh, they come back and win the thing. So multiple things stand out in this game. I mean, if it's just one play, it's the Giannis block. That was incredible. He is 100% squared up on Booker as Booker comes around on that pick and roll. And he sees Booker putting the one hand under the ball and realizes it's going to be a lob. And he just turns and jumps. And I guess he followed the fly to the path to know where he's going. And he said he thought he was going to get dunked on. But he just turned and he jumped so quick and so high. And he meets Aiton like 12 feet in the air at the top of the box. It was ridiculous. It's like a video game. Nobody does that, except he did. And he did it with the game on the line. The Bucks had taken the lead at that point. They were up two. It was a huge block. Huge play. And then uh, the Bucks grabbed the ball and went and ran. The transition points went to the Bucs. Um, the offensive rebound, the total rebounds, the turnovers, all of that favored the Bucks, And that just means more possessions. But the points off turnovers, I don't know what the final number was. It was at least 20. It may have been more. And that's just too much to overcome. Just too much to overcome. Uh, so a sensational play. It started a break. I thought the breaks were the difference in the game. Now, two guys had awesome games. They just kind of cancel each other out. Um, Booker, wow. Wow. But Middleton matches them. They both have 40-point games, only the fourth time that's happened in the NBA Finals. And all the other people who did it are legends. Legends. I didn't have any idea about this, but then, you know, after the game, everybody's recapping it. It's West versus Havlicek in a Celtic Lakers series in 1969, Game 2. And then it's Barkley and Jordan in Game 2 in 93. And then it's Iverson and Shaq in Game 1 in 2001. So, in the history of basketball, those are some fairly gigantic names. <laughs> That's... That's a pretty good collection of names right there. And Booker and Middleton don't have that status. Booker may get it. I don't know that Middleton will. On the other hand, Middleton has a couple more 40-point games down the stretch. PK and I have talked about this. Is the, is the Middleton game coming, and if so, when? And if you look at what he does, he starts slow in series, and he gets better as he get, goes along. And that's what the Bucks have done in this postseason. For all the talk about are not making adjustments. So in games five, six, and seven in the previous series, and they're four and one. <laughs> so they get deep in the series. They make adjustments. And Middleton's games don't – he doesn't have his big games, games one and two. You got to get deeper into the series. And he got better every quarter. Well, he scored more points every quarter. How about that? Seven, nine, ten, fourteen. Just, just kept getting hotter. And he made big shots down the stretch in the fourth quarter. I know the big talking point is about the Suns and, 
you know, Booker not fouling out, and he committed a sixth foul at least twice. And the refs admitted after the game they missed one. Their pool reporter went in, and, and they saw the block. They thought the block was clean, but live they missed the wrap-up and takedown. I don't know how, but they did. You know, the, the, I think it was the left hand went up to, yeah, the left hand went up to block the shot, but the right hand's wrapped around the waist and is tugging him down. So, whatever. They, it happens. Calls get missed, and everybody wants to see conspiracy theories into it. But if you think about it, there was no reason to cheat and help the Suns. They just missed calls. Booker should have fouled out. And it doesn't matter because the Bucks won the game. It also doesn't matter because it wasn't getting changed. And if you're the NBA, the money is in having a longer series, letting teams sell more tickets, letting networks sell more ads. There's no sense in putting the Suns up 3-1. to one. So I just can't see a conspiracy theory every time I see missed calls. Calls get missed. The NBA had all the incentive in the world to get the call right, but calls get missed. Go out and referee a basketball game. Tell me how hard it is. Uh, I did it at a really low level when I was in high school, and I quickly lost interest in doing that. One of my good friends in college, uh, we played intramural basketball together, and he lived in the dorm hall, and we ended up rooming together later. He loved referee games. I didn't understand it. Why would you want to do that? And he'd come back from a night of refereeing games, and he made a little bit of money. I think he made like 10 bucks a game or something, and uh, or 20 and I don't remember what it was. It was nominal. It was nice to have some walking around money, but it was nice nothing huge and uh and he'd just be recounting people who got mad at him he, he dished out he thought it was hilarious i'm like why would you put yourself through that man get on another team and play some more basketball ref it holy cow so now we got a long break uh chris paul was not good and i know some people thought he looked tired other people thought he just struggled he had some key turnovers although he was not the only guy who turned it over uh, but it, it's been three days since the last game. It's three till the next one. Usually that helps older players. And it should help the Suns role players being home because nobody really went with Booker. You know, Milton had his 40, and then Giannis had 26 and 13 boards and eight assists. Uh, and made some slick passes, set Connaughton up for a corner three with an no-look pass. People are like, ah, I didn't want to shoot because you want to get fouled. Well, that's actually a rational decision. You know, Giannis going one for two or even two for two or Connaughton wide open for a corner three. Yeah, they got the corner three. So good game. And it makes the series that much more interesting. So we got at least two more games. Maybe we'll have all three. It's been a home team all the way so far. When does a road team break through? Or is it the rare series where one doesn't? Does Chris Paul bounce back? Can Booker have another big game? Did the Suns miss their chance? Because that was Giannis's off game because you can't score 40 every night, and he didn't, and they won anyway. Think about it. There have been two – no, excuse me, four 40-point games in this series, and the team with the guy who's gone for 40 points has gone 2-2. Two and two. And they had to split this one because there's a guy on each team. So it's something. I mean, you want it, but it's not everything. You know, other stuff matters, too. Can the Suns force more turnovers? Can they cut theirs down a little bit? Um, I think of 12 to 14 is kind of the normal range. And I think 17 to 5, that just yeah, they didn't force enough turnovers. They didn't create opportunities to go run and get easy buckets and quiet the crowd on the road and all that stuff. Man, the Bucks went and got themselves some easy buckets. It seemed like Giannis was on uh, one-on-none breaks way too often.
All right, we'll have more on the game coming up, more on the series coming up. Uh, Also, uh, later this morning, Joe Ingalls is going to join us. So stay tuned for that. We'll have details on that coming up. Australia has beaten the U.S. team in a a preliminary, just kind of warm-up, tune-up exhibition game, and they're going to play again Friday. So uh, we'll talk with Joe later in the show. DJ and PK, more in a moment. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The British Open. Ugh, they play golf around the clock. It's already underway. But yesterday, before things got underway, Bob Casper came on to preview the tournament, the course, and to do our draft. Three rounds, three players each. No Tony Finau. He's off limits. Here is Bob Casper with PK and I on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Bob, good morning. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. You go to a lot of major championships, and I get in the pandemic, that's all kind of slowed down and all that. But over time, you've been to a lot of them. But the British Open, that's the one, I, I think you've only been to it a couple times that I know of. How many trips have you made to the Open? Um, just a couple. Brian and I, the last time we broadcasted from there and were there live was in 2005 when Tiger Woods won. And, uh, and we got to play the golf course the day after from the championship tees. So that was pretty cool. But we don't travel across the pond very often, um, but you know it's great to get up at two or three o'clock in the morning and watch it on television and watch it all day long. So, in terms of <laughs> hallowed ground, how does it compare to some of the other places? Obviously, Augusta would be on the top of the list, but some of the other places that you've been in the world for golf. You know, the road is kind of interesting because you know they're playing at Royal St. George's this week. It's not a it's not a, a course that most of the guys like to play. Um, it's uh, as they say quirky. Um, but you know when we went in 2005, it was the home of golf. It was uh, St Andrews, and um, it was right up there with any golf course I've ever played. Um, and I think just from the tradition and the nostalgia and the home of golf. So uh, some of the quirks, I've actually heard players complaining. There's too many blind tee shots, and yeah. just even if you had a good shot, you still end up with some funky lie. The ball's above your feet. It's below your feet, whatever. It's, uh, is that the main complaint? Yeah, it, you know, the hitting it down the middle of the fairway, you could have two guys that hit it a foot apart from each other. One guy uh, ends up really, really good and the other guy bounces weird and goes into the rough or will go into the, um, you know, a pot bunker or something like that. So um, it's, it's just a weird golf course. It's got lots of bumps and rolls in the fairway. The greens have lots of weird undulation and bumps and rolls on them also. So you have to get, you have to hit good shots, but you have to have some luck to, to win this week at the Open Championship at Royal St. George's. Do foreign guys, does this mean a little more to them or no? Yeah, you know, uh, anybody who lives outside the United States, the Open Championship does mean a little bit more to them. Um, you know, all the guys in the U.S. want to win the U.S. Open, 
they want to win the Masters or the PGA Championship because those are all contested in the United States. This is the only one outside of the United States. Well, Bob, we got to do a draft here. And last time we did this, you picked John Rahm with the first pick, and he uh-huh. won the tournament. So everything that came after it was blah, blah, blah. Because if you win the tournament, that's it. <laughs> that's everything. Yes, that's correct. Now, that's it. PK says we got to have a winner. So we're going to add up strokes in relation to par. And if your guy misses the cut or withdraws, then you get the worst score for whoever finishes all four yeah. rounds. So that, that's basically yeah. going to get you beat. PK had somebody withdraw, and that, that sunk his ship. So okay. with, with that in mind, there's the ground rules. Uh-huh. John okay. Rahm is the favorite by a wide margin with the odds makers. You're just going to go John Rahm yeah. right out of the gate again. You're the guest. You get the first pick. 100% John Rahm. I knew, wow. I knew you'd do that. Two majors then, back-to-back? You know, there's a few guys that have done that, the U.S. Open and the British Open in the same year. Um, and John Rahm has a new outlook on life, a new lease on life. Um, he's coming off a, a winning a major championship, and I think he's going to play well again this week. How about the pressure on that, though? Because now, I mean, it's not like he wasn't expected to do well, but now he's really expected to do well. Yeah, you know, there's there's a, a little bit to that, but I think he can handle it. He's been able to, you know, only been on tour, what, five or six years, and he's been able to win and get his first major championship. I think he's I think he's okay. I think okay. he's in the in the driver's seat. So, right. so here's the interesting thing. When you look at this specific course, American uh-huh. golfers don't win there very often. Now, John Rahm, we're getting so international here. You know, they're guys who grow up other places, but they go to college in the U.S., and they reside in the U.S., and they play on the U.S. tour. So a uh, guy is or isn't an American. I mean, there's something to play in a course that's different, and the U.S. tour is basically, you know, Parkland golf. So it, this is just is. really different. So we can't go with this strict definition of what is or isn't an American. Rahm R- R- played college over here? Where'd he go? Yeah, he played it. Uh, uh, let me see. Some like uh, school like ASU or something like that. I, I, I Just some junior Harvard of the West. And low academics. <laughs> Harvard, Any, Harvard of the anybody West. Anybody this <laughs> chair could get you. into it. <laughs> that's, okay. that's the party school of the West, not the Harvard of the West. That's what I meant. <laughs> Same thing. They, they party at Harvard. Yep. All right. Yep. Uh, because the international guys tend to do well on this course, I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Rory. Give me McElroy. Okay. Okay. You okay with that? Because you'd love to tell me I made a, a bleeped up pick. No, McElroy's, McElroy's <laughs> great. He's struggling with his driver. It'll be interesting to see how he plays this week. Um, you know, he, uh, he's been up and down, and uh, he won, you know, about a month or so ago, a month and a half ago. He'll still um, so, hit. He'll still hit bad drives, but he'll be okay because the yep. guys hitting good drives are going to have bad lies too. So this is going to yeah, bail him great. out. Yep, that's my logic. I'll it'll talk be, myself into it's that. A good pick. Okay. Good pick. Well, my thought okay. is that you know he's gotten himself into playing condition, so he's ready to go, and that would be Brooks Kepka. Okay. What good do you pick. think? You think you buy I that like logic? That. He's ready to go. Well, you know. I think he's feeling his oats too because he was asked a lot, a lot about uh, you know the conflict be- yeah. between him and and Bryson and that kind of thing and uh, and he's just he's very confident. He said when it comes down to it, at the end of the week he's going to be in contention and have an opportunity to win. So he's not worried about it. So he's he's uh, he's kind of boasting a little bit. So that's right. a good pick. Yeah. 
I like it too for what it's worth. I know you don't care what I think, but yeah. if he'd been available <laughs> yeah. in the second round, I'd have taken him. I would have. I considered taking yeah. him in the first round. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, back to you, Bob. Second round out of three. Who you got? Xander Shoffley. Mm. Didn't he just get married, though? I knew, I knew it. He did just get married. And listen. Women weak in putters. Time, <laughs> the, listen, but listen. The last time an American won at Royal St. George's, it was Ben Curtis, and he just got married as well. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to something there that has it's a connection. Not, it's not often. It's not often that Rocky movies and the British Open can come together in one storyline. But you did it, PK. That's right. So good for you. That's right. <laughs> Rocky women weekend legs. That's right. K. PK. No, or not PK. No, it's PK. me. It's me. And uh, I'm a little worried. I'm going to go ahead and pick this guy. I'm a little worried because I feel like he chased it for so long, and he finally, like the, they always talk about the dog can't run after it catches the wooden rabbit. It's like, what am I chasing this thing for? What's the point of this? But I think he's ready to come back now. I'm taking DJ. Okay. He well, won a, he was runner-up last time in 2011 yeah. there at Royal St. George's. So, yeah, good. So before I make this pick, I want your opinion, because it seems like he's been in contention but hasn't been able to close the deal, and that's Gaptooth Oosthuizen. Well, he won the Open Championship at, at uh, St. Andrews. Um, he was right in the mix at uh, the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open, and um, I think Oosthuizen's probably a really good He's uh he's been playing well, and I wouldn't expect him to play any differently this week. Okay, but I'm going to go with Justin Thomas. Are you really? There you go. Yeah. See, I like that. I like that. That's a great pick. Justin Thomas is a great pick. Um, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he came over and he played the Scottish Open last week. Um, right. Had a chance to get, to kind of get in the realm of uh, Lynx golf, so I think he's a great pick. So. All right, your third-round pick. This is your last shot. Uh, for people who don't know, we all just assume this. Tony Finau is off the board. Uh, right. Otherwise, we would all pick him and, and suck up to him. And, and like Charlie him. Hoffman, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you ready for my third pick? Yeah. I'm going to pick Jordan Spieth. Um, and uh, like, I said, like, like we've talked about before, he won – uh, earlier this year, the week, a uh, couple weeks before, uh, the Masters played well there. Played has played well in in the majors uh, this year. Um, not really um, getting high up there, but Jordan Spieth in the British Open um, since he started playing it, I think in fourteen, uh, he's never finished worse than thirtieth, and um, he loves links golf. He kind of uh, really takes to it. So I'm going to take Jordan Spieth this week. All right. Uh, I'll go ahead and take Louie then. I thought Peter oh, was really going to take him. I wanted him. But I figured he wouldn't go. So Why? I'd, I thought he'd be sitting there in the third round. So I would take Thomas, who was a higher, better pick. And then I would just take yeah. Louie in the third round. Yeah. Sucks yeah. to be you. I'm oh, taking Louie. You, you weren't going to take him. I absolutely I was. My goodness. Oh, crap. Damn, cat fight. Yeah, we're like DeChambeau and Kepka here. There's no way. You didn't even know he had a gap between his teeth. I don't care yeah. either. Uh, okay, so DK oh, took Louie. Well, now I got to go back and redo it, man. 
You I, just got to pick your next pick. I, well, yeah, I, know, but I was going. Guys. I thought Louie was going. And he would still be available. I'd take him in How the third you guys, round. Okay, here's a couple people you like. You like Patrick Reed because he's cantankerous like you are. You like Patrick Cantlay. You've picked him multiple times. Could this be? I mean, there's some guys who are out there. Yeah, I know. I, well, yeah, there's plenty of guys who can, are out there. Yeah, yeah. but who are realistic. There's but still... I got to pick one foreigner. So that was another reason for the who stays. And I went with two Americans, but I've, I've got to go I've with a foreigner. With, I've gone with two foreigners. You got to go with a foreigner? Yeah. He I mean, it's over did. there. Yeah, it's, 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 and on this course, the, the U.S. guys don't win that often on this course. Probably going PK, back to what you guy, said. PK, there's a guy that's ranked number one in front of Rory McIlroy. Or he's one spot in front of Rory McIlroy, and that's Terrell Hatton. He's played some good golf this year, so he might be a guy that you want on that you want to think about. Well, I've gone the last couple of rounds of picking Hovland, so I'll shoot myself or be mad if I, okay. if he if he were to win and I didn't pick him. But you know, I've also got sentimental favorites like Paul Casey, Lee Westwood just uh, got married. Who did he marry? What's her name? They're his caddy. What's her name? Brenda? No, I don't know. Oh. I don't know. It could be Brenda. Yeah, and you know, and you got those guys, Sergio, everybody loves. Uh, and Harris English, I mean, the big win. <laughs> and then, of course, you got yeah, Abraham Anthony. I know, I know he's not. So, I, I, how about Justin Rose? I mean, how about that? So. So yeah, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He hasn't said we got to go to break yet, so I'm just dragging <laughs> <doesn't>. it out. <laughs> <laughs> we got. I got one more thing to talk to Bob about. Bob and I have to discuss this and feel, and feel good about it. All right, go ahead. And then I'm. And you pick. keep thinking. Yeah, yeah Bob. Yeah. How about a shout out for Daniel Camarena, the Padre reliever who got his first hit in the majors, a grand slam off Max Scherzer with the family and friends there. He is not just like he's a San Diego kid. B.S. He's from Bonita. He's from the same. Yeah, so I don't is. know if he's from Bonita Downs or Bonita Woods. You know all the neighborhoods and all the developments he, down there. He may have. He may have gone to Ella B. Allen. I don't That's know. Exactly That's exactly what I was thinking. Look it up. I couldn't. Yeah. I tried. I couldn't find it. Oh, you couldn't? <laughs> I couldn't. Sunny, I looked. Sunny. When Sunny. I saw he's from Bonita, one. I was like, you know? "Well, yeah, where'd he go?" Oh, that's interesting. I know that stuff's yep. out there. Yep. All right. Is it my turn? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's. You need my pick right now. You ready? Uh, is it? Yeah. It's either now or never. Do I got like this time? Or, if, or we could talk Go. more about Bob's hometown, Benita, California. No, I want to talk about Mapleton. Yeah. Benita is Spanish Go. for beautiful. Go. Uh, duh. <laughs> well, I know you know, but not everybody's. <laughs> Come on, PK, tell us. So is Hermosa. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go with Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood. That's a good pick. I I, I got to go with one in... foreign dude. Yeah. Right? He's yeah. Oh, I think you do. I think that's good logic. So, all right, there it is. Bob takes John Rahm out of the gate. He takes the favorite, and that would be quite the story. The British Open, U.S. Open double. We'll see if you get it, Bob. Yep. All right. Yep. You can go look okay, up Daniel guys. Camarena and find out uh, if he went to L.B. Allen Elementary, just like I you. I will. All right. I will. I will. He probably. He probably. He probably went to Valley View. <clears throat> he might have been. Yeah. There's Golf's Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper, and you can hear him and Brian every Saturday morning, 6 to 9 a.m., right here on the Zone Sports Network. When we come back, B.J. Rains covers the Boise State Broncos, and we get the lowdown on their season. With the coaching change, they're going to play both the Aggies and the Cougars. We'll get his thoughts on where the program is headed next. Stay with us. The playoffs 
may be over for the Utah Jazz. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. One of your go-to phrases, which you alluded to this morning, PK. Party on? No. <laughs> you did not. <laughs> One of your go-to phrases, which you alluded to, is you never know what's going to happen with a coaching change. You get a new hire, they're going to be great. They're going to be awful. They're going to be, you know, okay. And you don't know... People who are supposed to be great or awful. People who are supposed to be awful or great. It's all over the map. And now Boise State, though, it isn't all over the map. They keep changing coaches, and they don't seem to miss. And uh, everybody a misses. Bit, but the last two uh, coaches, their first years, went to New Year's Day Bowls, Chris Peterson and Harson. And, time, time to talk Bronco football with B.J. Rains, beat writer for the Idaho Press-Tribune. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. B.J., good morning. Hey, what's going on, guys? Well, we're counting it down to college football here because the Jazz are out of the playoffs. So we're on to the next big thing that captures everybody's imagination. And a thing that uh, stuns everybody here is Boise State changes coaches. And Dirk Cutter wins, and Dan Hawkins comes in and wins, and Chris Peterson comes in, and Brian Harson comes in, and they all come in and win. Different levels, but all at pretty high levels. So... Can you actually hit on five coaching hires in a row at most schools, Alabama, USC, Notre Dame? The answer is no. At the biggest schools in college football, the answer is no. But the Broncos have hit on four in a row. Why do you think they've hit on five in a row, or why do you think they finally missed, or is it too early to know anything and you can't help us? Well, I think uh, – well, I hope I can help. Uh, you know, Andy uh, – is the guy that Andy Avalos is the guy that was the defensive coordinator here was also a player here and the common theme in a lot of these hires going all the way back to, to Dirk Cutter is that they had you know previous ties whether it be as a player or as an offensive assistant um, you know to to Boise State so the last you know couple of coaches has not just been some random person that doesn't know the system and the culture and I know every school says you know that they have a culture and they have a way of doing things and the, you know the their way, but uh, really Boise State does kind of have the, the Bronco way, so to speak, where they just, you know, it's just a special place and a special culture, and, and uh, it takes this unique person to kind of understand this town and this community and this program and, and kind of what this program is all about in terms of the chip on their shoulder and um, where the, they came from rising up, uh, you know, from Division One AA and not, not uh, forgetting that. So I think Andy Avalos was the uh, obvious hire all along and, and ended up being the, the hire. Um, it took a little longer because they you know, were hiring a new athletic director at the same time. So it took a little longer than, than many thought. But Avalos is a former player, a former defensive coordinator, you know, just two years ago here. He's only at Oregon for two years. So 
he's very familiar with the roster, very familiar with the players. And uh, it is crazy, though. You know, I was listening to you before I came on. You, you mentioned the last two coaches, Peterson and Arson, going to New York Six Bowls. They, they won them, too. So uh, to, to have you know two straight coaches in their first year win a, a New York Six BCS Bowl game, uh, Fiesta Bowl, both times is pretty impressive. And um, I think people here in town have you know high expectations for Andy Avalos to come in and produce right away as well. So 16 starters returning, I believe. Four on the offensive line. Whoever the quarterback is has experience. A running back has experience. Receiving core, uh, Khalil Shakur, uh, 52 catches, really good. Uh, Defense should be okay as far as that goes. I like the special teams. What is the strength of this team? I think it's uh, probably, you know, veteran leadership, I would say. I mean, they, they took advantage of that super senior rule and brought back eight super seniors, and all of the eight are guys that are just, you know, solid, um, you know, college, you know, just multi-year starter guys that maybe weren't quite good enough to have, you know, a big NFL career or they would have left, but they're like really, really good college players. They kind of remind me of like the Tyler Hansbrough of college basketball, where it's just an Great college player, didn't amount to much in the pros. And so I think a lot of these guys, whether it's a Riley Wimpy at linebacker or a K. Cole Camillo at nickel or a C.T. Thomas at wide receiver, you're talking about, you know, legit multi-year starters, these guys that decided to come back and, and have one more go at this. And so, um, it, you know, they, they didn't just hand out these extra scholarships to, to anybody. And so they all have a, a role and, a, and pretty much a starting spot. Uh, you know, there's a couple offensive linemen in that mix. So I think that they are really going to benefit from – having some of these guys back that they didn't think they would have. And so, and the other thing obviously is, you know, I mentioned experience is, is the experience and leadership on offense. And you're talking about a, uh, you know, all American candidate in Shakir. And I mentioned Thomas. I mean, that's two, you know, maybe the best one, two wide receiver tandem in the, in the league. And Shakir's a guy that's going to get drafted next year. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned the quarterbacks, you've got Sears and Bachmeyer. You have a thousand yard rusher coming back uh, who was hurt most of last year, which really hurt the running game. Um, you know, and, and they've added some transfers too. Added an Oregon transfer at running back and a couple transfers on defense. And so, um, yeah, I think that they're pretty excited about the new offense from, from Tim Plow coming in from UC Davis, kind of a uh, high octane, uh, up tempo uh, spread, you know, no substitution, go, go, go offense. And so I think they're kind of excited for that. And I think there's just a lot of guys with chips on their shoulder. And I think the new coaching, you know, change came at a perfect time for this team to kind of light a fire under them. Broncos have only lost, I think it's, you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I think it's nine home games in 22 years. But BYU went up there and blew them out. So is that the game that is circled this year? Is there is there payback? Is that a big deal? Or does that get lost a little bit with a coaching change? I mean, I think that's a game that's always circled. That, that game is always a big game for them uh, every year. I think that's always a, a key game that they look at on the schedule. I think Boise State, um, you know, BYU fans don't want to hear it. Um, but, you know, Boise State, I think, uh, you know, points to some, you know, circumstances in that game. When you, when you look at, uh, you know, both your main two quarterbacks going out and having to play a true freshman for, you know, the majority of that game. And, um, you know, Jack Sears had just had an incredible game the week before against BYU. You're already without Hank Byer against uh, Air Force. You were already without Hank Bachmeyer. I think the Boise State fans would have liked to have seen what would have happened if, if Jack Sears would have played a full game. Um, not to say they win, but I think it you know is a more competitive game than it ended up being. And so I think sure there's some Boise State fans that, that want to you know get some payback because they don't think that they were at full strength. They're without some other guys as well. Didn't have their thousand yard running back in that game. 
Um, so the offense just was a shell of what it, you know, originally was. And, and so, yeah, I think that is a game that they're looking at. Um, but it's obviously going to be a different BYU team, and they know that. But, um, you know, for them, it starts with Central Florida in the opener. That, that's, you know, they've made their mark over the years of winning the opener, the big-time opener on national TV, winning that and kind of using that momentum to ride the rest of the season. And they're kind of back to that this year where it may not be a Power Five, but to, to be on the road at Central Florida – in the uh, Thursday night, you know, season kickoff ESPN game, I think it's a big deal for them. If they can find a way to win that one, I think sure. But, you know, I, I had to pick the three hardest games this year for the thing we were doing, and I had BY, at BYU in the top three when they're playing Central Florida and Oklahoma State and Nevada, who's supposed to be good this year. And a lot of people kind of scoffed at me, and, 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 you know, that's not the same BYU team this year. But I think that, obviously, you know, every time they play, you kind of throw the records out the window, and it always seems to be a competitive game. Weird stuff always seems to happen, especially down there in Provo. So, um, yeah, I do think they're looking forward to that, because don't forget, two years ago, I believe it was, when they played at BYU, was another weird game where they uh, only lost, it was their only regular season loss, they only lost by three points, and they were again with their backup quarterback. So, they haven't had they haven't had it been at full strength against BYU in a couple years now, and I think they're looking forward to that hopefully being the case this year. So I hesitate to cite statistics from last year as being uh, meaningful compared to statistics in regular years because we all, obviously we know why. But nevertheless, they only had two interceptions and they lose both starting cornerbacks. So can I argue the weakness of this team is the pass defense on the back end or is there something else that you would say? No, that's the one position they're looking at. They went out and tried to fortify that. They actually got a transfer, a grad transfer from Utah State. Uh, they, who, you know, two of the coaches came from Utah State, knew him well. They brought in a transfer uh, corner from Bowling Green, um, you know, who has a lot of multi-years experience starting at Bowling Green. They brought in another uh, JUCO corner, so they, they've really tried. That was one of the areas they really looked at was trying to, uh, you know, strengthen that cornerback position through the transfer portal. So, um, yeah, that was an issue. Only three turnovers in total on defense last year. I know sometimes that stuff's cyclical and it's just kind of a fluke sometimes, but three turnovers on defense. I think there are only three teams in the country, um, you know, literally of the 130 teams or 128 that played or whatever it was, only three teams had less turnovers than Boise State did on defense. And so it was a it was a historically bad year on defense for them. So, yeah, I would agree that I would say that, the you know, the pass defense, but also just in general creating turnovers. They didn't have a single fumble recovery last year. Um, you know, they, it was just, a, or maybe it was one, but it was just a bad year. And so um, they've certainly tried to do that. And I think Andy Avalos coming back on, you know, the, the head coach, he was the defensive coordinator here, and they put a lot of effort into the defensive side of the ball. They brought in Jerron Johnson, a former Boise State uh, you know, defensive back that played for the Seahawks in the NFL for a long time, brought him back in to coach the secondary. And um, so they've tried to tried to really fortify that because that was, certainly was an issue, creating turnovers last year on defense. B.J. Reigns, Boise State B-Rider for the Idaho Press-Tribune joining us. So you mentioned the NFL there, and the Broncos have gotten, uh, they've gotten pretty good at turning out NFL guys. How many NFL guys, how many lock NFL guys are on the roster, and how many are, you know, maybe there's a few more fringe guys beyond that? Yeah, that's always kind of been the question, um, you know, with, with this team in terms of what they've had the star power in recent years and do they have that, you know, moving forward. I think Khalil Shakir, a wide receiver, is certainly a guy that uh, would have been a, a mid to late round pick if he had left early last year but wanted to come back for his senior year. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that uh, played as a true freshman. He's a guy that will get drafted. People are saying anywhere from the third to fifth round probably. The left tackle, John Ojuku, is going into his third year starting. And I think it's some weird streak like the last six left tackles that have started at least two years at Boise State have been drafted. So 
Um, you know, John Ojuku, left tackle, is probably going to get drafted somewhere in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Um, um, you know, defensively, they have some younger guys, but I don't know if they have anybody that's a lock right now, especially. And so, um, you know, they got a lot of guys with potential. There was a, a stud, they call it the stud position, the edge position, Dimitri Washington, but he got hurt in the second game last year. Maybe their best defensive player missed the BYU game and missed some other games uh, with an ACL injury late in the year. So, um, they've probably got, you know, maybe two or three, I would say, that, that but uh, they, they don't have as many locks as maybe they've had in the past. And that's certainly something they're trying to trying to do is upgrade that talent level and, and upgrade the uh, recruiting rankings and things like that under Avalos. And they've certainly been off to a good start with that. So I love their non-conference schedule this year. Play some big dogs and, and then do what you do in the conference. And obviously that's a sign to you as far as that goes. But I thought I read that they canceled a series with Michigan State. What now with a new coaching staff, new athletic director, is the philosophy on scheduling going forward? Well, I think a lot of it had to do, well, there was two reasons. One, the budget. The budget is just in really bad shape at Boise State. They were hit really hard from the pandemic. They you know, like a lot of schools, um, get a lot of their revenue from football, but it's even more so at Boise State. I mean, they fund almost all their Olympic sports programs just from the revenue of the football team. And uh, not having fans really, really, really hurt them last year and a lot of the other money they lost. And they lost, you know, um, you know, upwards of half of the athletic department's budget last year. They ended up having to, you know, do away with the baseball team and the swimming and diving team uh, and cancel the programs because they just didn't know how they didn't have enough money to fund them moving forward. And so they're in a lot of budget issues. And so the new AD came in and had to make a tough decision to, to balance the books a little bit and put them in a better position and was able to turn a home and home with Michigan State into a uh, over $3 million uh, from Washington for a pair of road games and also got Washington to pay for an FCS school to come in and play a game. So it ends up being like $3.5, $3.6 million net gain for Boise State by making that switch. And the other part of it was, um, you know, just with the new 12-team playoff likely coming, Boise State thought their schedule was was too hard. I mean, they, they don't need to play three Power Five teams in a non in, in a single non-conference year. Um, when if a school like Boise State goes undefeated, regardless of who they play, there's a decent chance that they'll end up in the top 12. So I just, um, you know, their their kind of philosophy is one Power Five game kind of at the beginning of the season every year, and then you know a solid group of five team, and then you know, BYU, and then potentially, uh, you know, an FCS or a lower-level group of five teams. So they just kind of decided they need to back off a little bit, and that's what worked for them in the past. You know, when they won the – when they got to the first Fiesta Bowl in some of those early years, they would just play that one early-season game and, and ride that the rest of the way. And with the Mountain West getting better, too, you've got Nevada and some of these teams that are, that are improving. Um, they just didn't see a need to, to, to have to play two, three, you know, really hard non-conference games. And, and so the BYU game kind of serves as a, a solid game every year. And with that on the schedule, they figured one power five was enough. And that Michigan State series, they just had one year where they would have been playing like Oregon and Michigan State, and they just didn't see a need to have to do that. So um, they, they're, they're backing off a little bit while also getting some money from the athletic department and trying to position themselves best for what they think is coming with that 12-team playoff. So I assume that uh, Bronco fans are pumped about the idea of a 12-team playoff. They're going to get into that, they believe. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I guess they feel like it gives them a much better chance. They're certainly excited about it. I don't know if they're ready to you know, declare that they're for sure going to get in, but you know, it, it certainly opens the door more. You know, that, that First of all, that the six you know, champions guarantees basically the spot to the Power Five, but also 
Um, you know, and I do think the voting would have been different if it was in place this year when it comes to Coastal Carolina and things like that. But, um, you know, it, there's, it just opens the door more for two teams potentially to even be uh, from the group of five to potentially be in the, in the top six conferences because they didn't say power five and one. They just said the top six. So that right there opens up that possibility of two group of five teams. If there's a, a bad, you know, conference champion from one of the other leagues, if there's an upset in the title game or something like that. So that opens the door. And then the six at large spots, I definitely think Boise State feels like they have the brand and the cachet still where if they go undefeated, it's going to be hard to keep them out of the top 12. And so um, even if it's, you know, number 12, I don't think they care at this point. They just want, and that was actually one of the reasons Brian Harson left to go to Auburn, I believe. If he had told me multiple times that he did not like, he did not think it, the current system was fair. He said, if you win every game, you should have a chance to continue playing and, and play for a championship. And he didn't think Boise State and the group of five schools had a, a fair shot at that, even if they went undefeated. So I think that um, with a full, you know, 13, 14 game season, counting conference championship games, if you can run the table on that and be, you know, 13 and 0 or 14 and 0, I think Boise State feels pretty confident that they would be included more times than not in a 12-team playoff. So I think fans are really excited. They go into the season, you know, not this year, but obviously coming up fairly soon, um, with a legitimate chance that they feel like they can at least, you know, all they want is a, a seat at the table. They, they've proven that they can hang with those teams, and more times than not, when they play in those big games, they do pretty well. Now, uh, obviously things change when you're playing, you know, in the in number five seed or whatever, and you're the 12 seed in the college football playoff, but they just want a chance. They want a seat at the table. They've proven, they, they feel like they've proven they deserve it, and I do think they're pretty confident that, you know, at some point they'll be able to sneak in there, and that's all they want, a shot to prove themselves. Well, we're looking forward to the start of college football season, and we'll be keeping an eye on the Broncos. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again as, uh, as the kickoffs get closer. Yeah, October 9th, I believe it is. Can't wait. Always enjoy coming down to Provo. Should be, a, should be another classic game this year. Thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. B.J. Reigns, Boise State B-Rider for the Idaho Press Tribune. That was a deep dive right there, PK. He had a a lot of info on the coaching change, the roster, the scheduling going forward. I absolutely love that Boise State each time has hired one of their own. And they've had consistent success. So Avalos does not come in wondering, well, what's this about? What's the recipe here? They He's know the already plan. been there. The, the deep, Bronco, deep roots. The, the fill-in-the-blank nickname, Way, is a cliché. But there are a few places where it's actually true, and Boise State's one of them. And I've been saying this for years. I worry when teams go outside the family. Now, some of them can do that. You can bring in Nick Saban. The big dogs can do whatever they want. There's no question about that, right? You can hire. You can go and bring in a Nick Saban who, I don't know, did he have any connection to Alabama? I'm not sure. Wins big. Lincoln Riley, young kid, relatively, promote him when Stoops retires uh, late in the coaching cycle. Mm-hmm. Well, you're Oklahoma. <laughs> it doesn't really, and I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but your chances of succeeding are really, really good there. You know what I mean? So you can go ahead and do that. Uh, but the rest of them, there's a lot that are in that situation. And so Boise there, 
hiring one of their own repeatedly, either promotion or get, go getting somebody who was there before. Before uh, Peterson and, and uh, Hawkins, I think those guys were promotions, right? Don't, you have to double-check that, but I think that's what the case is. Well, Peterson and, definitely and, was. And even uh, Cutter, yeah. right? He's an Idaho guy all the way. And then the last two, they went and got somebody, brought them back. They had been there. Harson was at ASU, brought him back. Mm-hmm. Not that ASU, the other ASU. Uh, Blake Anderson State. and ASU. So they bring him back. This coach here, only gone for a couple years, bring him back. So he immediately knows from day one, there's like zero issues there. I love that. That's why I'm really interested to see what Utah State does going forward. They hire two guys, football and basketball, complete outsiders, right? So where does this go? Arkansas and Maryland. I mean, it's way on the other side of the country, obviously. And I was talking to somebody uh, who knows a lot about the Utah State program just the other day, basketball-wise anyway, and reviews, early reviews are favorable. Players love this guy, Odom. Uh, But we'll see. It's going to be really interesting. You know, that... That is something different because they struggle. They sucked in football for so long, and then they go get... Gary Anderson wasn't one of their own Utah State, but clearly Utah, the state of, right? And so he has great success, builds it up. Matt Wells, by and large, he had one down season, but he kept it going, and he played there, and it was on Gary's staff. So now they go in the opposite direction after Gary doesn't work out the second time around. And it's really intriguing to me to see how it goes. I'm not saying that it's going to be a failure. I don't know because I got to take that same attitude on coaching hires that I really don't know. You have to allow that person the time to succeed. But it's going to be different. Whereas Boise State has a formula and they followed it through several coaches because, and I know the Boise people, they love their program and their program's been great. There's no doubt about it. But it's essentially a stepping stone program. I think we've proven that by now, right? You've had five coaches and they've all <laughs> left to go to well, other places. The cool thing places. is that it's a delayed stepping stone program. We've seen successful coaches at Wyoming beat out be out after three years or less, over like seventy five years. Because it's a better situation, right? And so, so they Boise can be State, picky. right? Boise State, if you're getting five to seven, eight years, whatever, out of out of the coaches, and I think the last two have lasted longer than the first two. Uh, Cutter and Hawkins weren't there as long. But Peterson and Harson were there. They were there long enough. If you move on, because there's an argument made that you get stale if you try to stay oh, some like I don't know 30 about years. that. Yeah. You no, know, well, you don't know. 30 it's years, an that's argument. an extreme. Okay, Nick Saban 15. isn't stale. Okay, 15. No, you're right. We can find plenty of people who've excelled that long, and we can also find people where, well, the better days were over. And we can just look at multiple local hires here, and... Lavelle, they didn't stay within Lavelle's family, and it, it got tough. Now, with Kalani, they are back, and there's a link there. And Ron McBride had a ton of experience at Utah. He'd been here two separate tours as an assistant coach when he came back as a head coach. Chris Hill did go outside the box to get Urban Meyer, but then right back to the Ute family to get Kyle Whittingham, a guy who'd been on the staff for a decade at that point. And what's gone wrong with basketball well, with Majerus, they went outside. Not that there, there was wasn't a lot, but I know, I know. He had no staff. Right. He had no coaching tree. There's very little. Very little coaching tree. It's hard to work for the guy. Call it like it is. Yes. Uh-huh. So, 
they're forced to. And here, uh, they went outside the family, but they stayed in the state. That's like a Gary Anderson thing. There is no... I mean, you can look at other programs at kind of the Mountain West level. There is no UNLV family. New Mexico, the most success they ever had was Rocky Long and New Mexico guy. San Diego State's been up and down. They've rarely had a San Diego State person. I mean, you can kind of play this game going around. And you can go around the Pac-12. Yeah, but not every program needs it, though. Right. Oregon doesn't need it. I think Utah is a different state. Utah needs it. But yet Utah State Does didn't ASU do it. it. Not really. It's so cosmopolitan. Uh, it's just such a different place in that way. Of so, they've gotten so big. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think they do because it doesn't really matter. They've had a pattern, and they can't keep guys home. And that's going to continue to be a pattern. It doesn't. I mean, who who's in the family? I, I, I don't know that any. They need to. They need to overcome something they can't overcome. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines, including Game Four of the NBA Finals. Stay with us.